Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. I'm I'm looking forward to this episode for a while. Some episodes come together really quickly, some take a while. Ingrid Nemhart and I have been circling this one since May of 2018. It's almost been a year and it's finally coming together. I am so excited. She is a a leader in the field of organizational learning and professional development specifically related to healthcare, but generalizable across any organization, any team that needs to implement change and figure out the best, most efficient, most effective and safe ways to do that work. This is going to be a lot of fun. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Before we jump in, want to invite everyone, please come take a look at the website for Explore the Space. We're at www.explorethespaceshow.com. The whole archive is there. All of the amazing content that we have is there. All of the incredible guests and conversation, they're all there and really would love people to come and jump in and take a look around. You can subscribe to Explore the Space on whichever platform you like, whether it's Google Podcasts or Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Please do so. Please leave us a rating and a review. It's a great way for people to find the show. It's a real powerful driver for people to find Explore the space and incredible episodes like the one that I think we're about to have. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. I love hearing from listeners. I love getting feedback. Also very active on Twitter at ETS show. You can find me there. Same thing, what we're doing well, things you want more of, content you want to hear more of, things that we could do better. This is a, a, a continuing operation. We are a living organism here and it's really, really exciting to interact with people as we continue to grow. So speaking of growth, speaking of improvement, speaking of getting better, Dr. Ingrid Nemhart is the Fishman Family President's Distinguished Associate Professor of Healthcare Management at the University of Pennsylvania. She has her PhD. She has her master's. She is, as I was learning about her, she is, she is, she is the talent that we need. She is the person that we need to drive the work of getting better. Ingrid, thank you so much for coming on the show. Mark, thank you so much. That was an amazing introduction. I hope to live up to this. <laughs> thank you for having me. I'm really excited to join in and have the conversation we're about to have. Absolutely. I, as I was learning about you, you know, we started emailing a while ago. The tagline on your email address when you reply to emails, I read it. I was like, oh, this is going to be serious business. Your website, <laughs> it just lays out all this extraordinary work that you're doing. And I, it's just that sort of eureka moment of this is the right person to be having this conversation with. <laughs> I want to start with kind of just first principles, though. The terms that I use to describe you, for me, they make sense. They resonate. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's a fairly new field, and we have a very diverse audience. So let's just lay in some basic principles. The work that you do, what motivates you, what gets you up in the morning, just lay in that those fundamentals of the work that you're doing. Sure. So my background is in organizational behavior and healthcare management. Healthcare management is a very broad field. Organizational behavior, when people say, oh, you're a scholar in organizational behavior, what does that mean? It means that I really focus on organizational factors within healthcare that make a difference. And so for me, when you ask the question, what makes me get up in the morning, it's the possibility that the research that I do, the teaching that I do, will in some meaningful way contribute to better quality care for patients. And people can do that in any number of ways. For me, it's teaching and research. 
And it's focused on really thinking about what happens inside of organizations. There's wonderful work being done on economics of care and access to care. And those things are very important. But for me, I think when I was in grad school, or actually it goes back a little bit before that, after after college, I worked at a health insurance organization in physician contracting. And that was really interesting. It, it was the first time that I really thought about being in healthcare. I knew I didn't want to be a clinician, but I thought this is a space where I can make a difference. And then I went to grad school. And while I was there, I was working at a community health center. And certainly they were very much challenged all around the issues of economics and access, but they were being very creative. And they were thinking about innovations in healthcare delivery. And that's really what piqued my interest. I started to think about, oh, okay, you can't innovate in this space. But then the question became for all of these organizations, what does it take to actually improve care delivery? How do you make, how do you take an idea and then actually have it translate into better patient care experiences, better clinical outcomes, and also really good working experiences for healthcare professionals? And I thought that's a really interesting question, and I don't think people are paying that much attention to it. And I think over time, it's become clear that those are all obstacles. And so I felt like, okay, this is an area in which I can contribute. What's standing in the way of people getting better quality of care? And it has a lot to do with organizational factors, and those just weren't getting attention. And so I wake up every day thinking, okay, what can we do about leadership and teamwork and change and coordination and making organizations learn day in and day out in a way that's not so painful for them? I have the impression that as you were doing your training, because your background in terms of where you've trained, I would imagine the men and women that you've trained with over the years, both the the instructors that you've had and the teammates that you've had, that mm-hmm. that probably really informed a lot of this. But I really have this sense of at some point, you know, you were and probably still are the sort of pluripotent scholar. You could have gone in any direction. You could have done politics. You could have gone to any graduate school you wanted. You could have pursued so many different things. Was there that eureka moment for you where you said there's no other path that I'm going to follow but this one? I think there were two moments. I think the first moment came to consider healthcare as a field. And for me, I so perhaps very unusual for many people who go into this line of work or into the healthcare industry, I was an ethics, politics, and economics major, and I was a psychology major. So I double majored at Yale. And when I graduated, I was faced with this question that I had loved doing ethics, politics, economics, and psychology, and what was the field that I was going to enter that was allow, going to allow me to deal with these issues and wrestle with these issues? And healthcare came upon me. And so that's how I got into healthcare. I I was offered a job working in physician contracting at a healthcare organization, at a health insurer, and sort of fell in love with healthcare as an industry in which all of that was wrestling with all of these issues and also had an important outcome. So that was my first Eureka moment, working on working on contracts and thinking about, okay, how much Will this physician get paid? How do we put in a hospitalist program from the insurer side? And thinking these are really important things that can be done and I can play a role in that. That was my first Eureka moment. And that was, okay, healthcare is the industry for me. I think the second Eureka moment was around becoming a PhD, which is not something I thought I was going to do. I was going to go and lead a healthcare organization. I worked in a healthcare organization. I was on the path to lead and make a difference in that realm. But when I was working in as a graduate student, 
I worked on a project that really required actually a lot of research. And so I spent a lot of time in the organization talking to people, figuring out the workflow, understanding what was happening. And I realized I was pretty decent at it and it was interesting and it was important. And so research can seem kind of limiting, but I think the impact and potential for generating new knowledge and having it make a difference is quite high. And I think that's especially true at this point in time where I think more and more organizations are starting to think about how do you bring in some of these organizational ideas to improve the quality of care. And so that second Eureka moment for me came through a work experience and saying, oh, research can guide what we do in practice. And particularly organizational research can really make a difference. It's It's heartening to me that the diversity of training that you had and the diversity of experiences that you had really informed your journey. Because let me tell you how I envisioned the the movement into organizational culture development, organizational psychology in healthcare, organizational improvement in healthcare as a field, as a profession. I, I see you as you've got a full backpack, right? You're you're heading out on a on a on a, on a big quest, but you are heading out into the wilds. You know, it's windy, it might be cold, it might be rainy, there might be like big mountains to climb, there might be rivers to ford. I I see it as being like a wilderness where there are some real barriers and boundaries, but also incredible resources and incredible vistas and views and, and amazing places to go because healthcare is so ripe for this kind of work. What was it like venturing out into that world? You finished your training and now you're doing the work. What has that experience been like? It's incredibly rewarding and incredibly stimulating. So it's stimulating. I'll begin with stimulating. I think it's stimulating because the challenges are so big. Yeah. And so any given project that I work on, there are any number of things, as you're saying, that I could be pursuing. What I find is one of one of my mentors and actually collaborators, often whenever we begin doing something, he says, this isn't going to work out. <laughs> it's often true um, when we're studying an intervention. But I think that's that doesn't make it in, it doesn't make it any less interesting to study it because what I've found in these projects is that you be, then begin to think about, okay, why isn't it working? And that's a really important question. People are very committed to a lot of change efforts in healthcare. But more often than not, Failure happens, and we need to figure out how to learn from that, and I think that's incredibly stimulating. I think it's rewarding. Um, it's rewarding because it just is. There are, I can see the results of the work, not just publishing it, but a wonderful part of my job is being able to teach, whether it's master's students that are MBAs or master's in public health students or executive MBAs or even doing going into healthcare organizations and meeting with healthcare professionals. It's rewarding because hearing that what I'm studying and the findings are really applicable and resonate with them and that they are able to take them and do something with them is incredibly rewarding. And I think when my career is long said and done, that's the part that will be most satisfying to me is knowing all the people that I've trained and that they've taken the knowledge and been able to run healthcare organizations in a better way. To me, that's motivating. That That's and a hugely I, important part because that's the grassroots effort that will not just initiate the change, but will be the accelerant and the sustaining component of change for sure. 
But I want to ask you about that last bucket that you mentioned and just kind of jump in there a little bit around when you actually are, are called by a healthcare organization or by a, by a team or a medical group or something like that, and you get to kind of get on the ground and, and do the work. For you and for them, is it a tension point? Is it, is it smooth? What is that reception like when, when the, the conversations actually start? What is that dynamic like in terms of receptivity, engagement, and, and moving into implementation? Honestly, I've been incredibly blessed. All of the interactions that I've had, organizations really want, healthcare professionals and healthcare organizations want care to be good. They, they want, want their lives to be better. That's right. They are looking for options and insight and in a way that I think is really, I think is encouraging for the industry. And so I found incredible receptivity and really no obstacles in that regard. And wow. so, I, I mean, I, I've actually maybe taken it for granted. I hadn't considered the, the alternative, but organizations want to understand how to run better. Leaders want to understand. For me, you know, part of the reason you, you said earlier, I could have done any number of things. And one of the things that was attractive to healthcare and the type of work that I do is I am at the front lines. I'm not a clinician. I'm not working in the front lines treating patients the way you are, but I won't ever do a research project in which I don't go to the front lines and I don't go and speak to the physicians, the nurses, the respiratory therapists, the medical assistants who are in that particular setting to try to understand what their vantage point is. I, that's not how, partly because that's not how I was trained. I think you have to do some of that primary data um, collection and experience and live it. But also, I think it just adds authenticity to your work, and it makes it so much more enjoyable to be able to interact with healthcare workers and understand what their concerns are and to be able to hopefully make that better. I think it's just, I can't imagine doing uh, being in a career where, or working in healthcare and not going to the front lines in the way that I do with all of my projects. I just think it makes a huge difference. I'm smiling as I'm hearing you say that because the common trope is that we're all beat down, we're miserable, we're grumpy, we're quitting, we don't care. That's not the reality. It's a hard job sometimes for sure. There are real problems. There are real stressors. But the people that are in this field, the many, 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 many thousands of men and women in the United States and around the world that do this work – from all different backgrounds and all different training. I mean, we're, we do it because we feel like we're called to it. There's something oh, yeah. really special about being on those teams. And it's it's a great mix of people. And to hear you say that when you want to help them improve, that you're right there with them shoulder to shoulder. I mean, that's the secret sauce. That's how people will buy in. Yeah. And they're going to know that you're, you're in it. You're in it. You're in it to win it, really. Oh, yes. I mean, I think it makes an incredible difference. A colleague and I, um, Yuna Lee, who is on the faculty at... Columbia University Mailman School of Public Health, she and I are working on a project right now, really spearheaded by her, where we look and what we find is that some of the most dissatisfied workers in healthcare are generating some of the most creative ideas hmm. for improvement. Yeah. yeah. And so I think we often discount, and I think in other industries, if you look at other industries, dissatisfied workers tend to exit the industry or they are more passive in their roles. In healthcare, we're seeing, at least in our data and our analysis, we're seeing that the ones who are dissatisfied 
are coming up with really creative ideas. And that's really important because it means that organizations really, you you don't dismiss or hide the dissatisfied, you get them involved and you provide an opportunity for them to generate those creative ideas that could really make a difference. Share one of those. Share, share one of those ideas that you've come across from someone that the perception was they're dissatisfied, disengaged, frustrated, and then they generate an idea that resonates. So, I mean, there, there, there are many of them, and yeah. you can think, and some of them are big and some of them are little, right? They're, if you think about a creative idea, which I've learned from you, the sort of the classic academic definition is this idea that's novel and useful. It's that combination. Huh. And so it really depends on the organizational setting, what would be considered novel and useful, what's considered novel and useful down the street may not be considered novel and useful yeah. broadly. So and context so is really be, important. Context is hugely important. Yeah. I, I think you know that a, a significant portion of my work uh, falls in one of two spaces. One is organizational culture and the work environment for healthcare professionals, and the other is organizational learning. And organizational culture is really about that. It's thinking about the context in which people work. What are the assumptions? What are the values? What's rewarded in that space? What is it like to work in that space? And that has a huge influence on what is possible and what is relevant and useful there. You know, we could talk about a particular idea, but I think that that is not, it would vary by various, by various organizations. No, absolutely. But that's important, right? That strategic view that you can provide, organizational culture, you've defined that for us. Define organizational learning for us, because these are fundamentals that anyone needs to be equipped with as part of a team. It's not just in healthcare. These are, Mm -hmm. these are the key principles that we can then use to develop strategies around to figure out and overcome barriers to building the teams that we want. So you've laid out organizational culture. Give us that sense of organizational learning. Sure. So organizational learning, we think about it in sort of an academic speak as the process of improving the way organizations do their actions by really bringing in new insights and knowledge. And so Part of how I came to this is in studying healthcare, one of the things that I've observed is, and this will not surprise anybody who works in the healthcare industry, there is a ton of new knowledge being developed every day, every single day. If you look in PubMed, which is the bibliographic database for medicine and health services, there are thousands of articles that are uploaded to that database every day. I think at one point in my career, I had seen a statistic that said that the average health professional would need to be reading 19 articles a day to keep up with their field. I think the the doubling rate now, I think the doubling rate now is predicted that the fund of knowledge doubles for a physician every 73 days or something to that effect, something extraordinary. It's ridiculous. And so that means that healthcare professionals and organizations, this is wonderful, right? New knowledge is wonderful. It provides the opportunity to provide even better care. But it really presents an ongoing challenge of figuring out how are you going to incorporate that new knowledge into practice. And that's really what organizational learning is about. You want to be able to do it in a way that it's effective and efficient for people. And so some of my work really spends time thinking about what are the obstacles to that? Why don't we see that happening in a more natural way in healthcare? And what can we do in order to make that happen? And And it turns out culture is one of those things. We sort of underestimate um, that factor, but it is a core factor. And so that's sort of the intersection of my work. I think culture makes a big difference in whether or not organizations are willing and able to engage in that kind of learning in a way, in a uh, systematic way. That, that's vitally important. And, and actually on Explore the Space, we've done 
a fair amount of work looking at team-based culture because it is mm. so important. It's important for the team that I'm a part of. We've spent a lot of time yep. and we continue to do so because the hospitals division that I'm a part of, we're fairly new. The team itself is mm. about four and a half years old. I've been a part of it for three years since I left San Diego and came back up to Northern California. And we talk about team-based culture all the time. How do we take That's care great. of patients? How do we take care of each other? And then how do we take care of ourselves? The medical group that I'm a part of, we have a cultural initiative steering committee because it's a fairly new medical group. Same thing. We are le- we're writing the constitution for how we're going to do this stuff. It's not going to be perfect. It's going to be rocky, but it's so important because at the end of the day, you've got to know that you can trust, rely, and function with the people next to you. You don't necessarily have to be their best friend, but no, you have to it. be able to work with them. You have to respect them. There you go. Yeah, You have to respect them and respect the endeavor that you're in together. And I love the fact that you said that you're talking about it. So often things go unsaid and that can be dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> you sort of assume everybody is, uh, is, has the same goals or understands things in the same way. And that isn't necessarily true, but it's nice to hear that you are having explicit conversations about what you want the culture to be and what that means for everybody and what the expectations will be. It's been huge for us, but it's interesting th- that you said so often because that gets to something I'm curious about. Is this a common pitfall in the work that you do, the teams, the groups, the organizations that you interact with? Is that lack of insight around team-based culture, is that a common barrier? Is this something that universally we need to pay more attention to? I think so. And maybe I'm biased because people always come to talk to me about this issue. So that's (laughs) why they're reaching out to you then. But that's why people are reaching out to me. Earlier this week, I had a conversation, actually it was a week ago, I had a conversation with someone who is a, uh, a unit leader of a hospital and reached out to me because had been looking at some scores in their, some employee satisfaction scores in their unit and was troubled by a disconnect that when you, one, when you look at the scores, sometimes you look at the scores and you see low scores and you think, what's happening here? Because when I'm on the floor, it looks like everything is fine. Right. Or on the flip side, you are seeing these wonderful scores And when you look at the interactions on the floor, you see something that does not represent that. And so we have this conversation about starting to think about what could be done in that scenario. And this is a place where I had visited and I had said, okay, I see some positive things happening in this space, but yet we're seeing disconnects. I think it happens. I think people are very conscious about whether or not they feel like they're working as a member of a team versus not. And increasingly, I hear from healthcare professionals that certainly we're all working towards the same goal, but we're not really working as a team. And that, I think, is frustrating to many. And it doesn't have to be that way. And I think many or many organizations are trying to figure out how to do that. How do we how do we make teamwork work? It's funny, actually, this week in class, we, um, in one of my MBA classes, we had a discussion about organizational culture and how this represents a core challenge for healthcare organizations. And we began, I began by asking people to think about the organization, the last organization in which they worked, and what was the culture of that organization. And interestingly, my students come from all different backgrounds. Some of them are MD, MBA candidates. Some of them are already MDs or physicians. Some are in private equity. Some are coming from oil and gas and have decided they want to be in healthcare. We went through this exercise, and 
the two, the spectrum that came up most in terms of people's comments was whether or not the organization in which they worked was someplace they felt was hierarchical or teamwork. And that was not prompted by me. But whenever they began to talk about their work experience, they either said hierarchical or team, team oriented. And I think that's really interesting. And my healthcare people said, oh, yes, we think we, we work in teams all of the time. We're treating patients. We work in teams. But it doesn't always feel, one, like we are working as teammates. And two, even if we are working as teammates, we become focused internally on our own team versus thinking about cross-disciplinary teams or cross-division teams. And they'd like to see that change. The DNA for that. I think if I was to speculate, having walked that road, when we train, when we're medical students, when we're residents, when we're fellows, that is the very definition of hierarchical learning. Unfortunately, it could be better. And I think some places are really trying to innovate around that, but it's, you know, it runs from the attending on down and there is a clear hierarchy and there are clear barriers, boundaries, you know, all of that sort of stuff that maintains that. And that is also the stereotype that's associated with it. And to then join an organization, even if it's a high-functioning organization, you're asking the candidate who is now learning how to do a lot of things, run a practice, be an attending for the first time, all that different stuff to also completely change the way they interact and orient with a team in a Mm -hmm. team-based culture. That's a big ask. And I might posit that we need to light the fire way earlier because when you're asking someone coming out of fellowship who joins a cardiology practice or joins a medical group, they've got a lot on their plate. They have to learn how to be an attending. They have to learn how to run their practice, do their billing, all that sort of stuff. They may have moved to a new city. They've got to get some, all it's a lot and we can lay those principles and practices in much earlier if we so choose. Absolutely. I think when you think about how culture is formed, it's formed in two ways, largely. It's formed through the socialization process, which happens during training. Mm. And it's formed by leadership. And so that's critically important, right? So once you transition from your training to actually being a full-fledged healthcare professional working day in and day out, your context is set largely by the leadership. Are they promoting things in a way that says we really value teamwork? We expect you to work as a team. If that's not present, there's no reason for you to believe that you should. (laughs) Right. And so, (laughs) I mean, we take our messages from our leaders. That's reality no matter what industry we're in. I've done quite a bit of work with um, on the concept of psychological safety. I, one of my mentors at Harvard was Amy Edmondson, and she's really introduced or is mostly responsible for the introduction of this idea. And so I, I do quite a bit of work on psychological safety as well. And that's really the concept that it's you feel safe to take risks, to speak up, to offer ideas, to point out mistakes. All of those things, whether or not you feel a sense of psychological safety, one of the things that we found to be a key factor is whether or not leadership provides a context for that. And when we look at places where there are big discrepancies in psychological safety between healthcare professionals in the same environment, it's because leadership is not encouraging that behavior. They're not being inclusive in their own behavior. They're not inviting and welcoming ideas from everyone universally up and down the hierarchy across the status hierarchy. 
And, and how do you prompt places? leadership to take that inventory? We've had some conversations around that. It's, it's been interesting. There's a recurring guest that we've had named Dave Burke, and he comes from the military. He was a fighter pilot. He was a Top Gun. And we've talked about mm-hmm. that same thing too. How do you do an inventory of a team-based culture? How do you coach leaders to do that inventory, to see if their team provides that psychological safety that provides that clear outline of here are our desires for you in a team and here are our expectations for you in a team. Is there a platform for people in in those positions of leadership to take an inventory of how they're doing? I don't think there's a standardized survey, so to speak, but I do think the diagnosis is important. Yeah. And so I think in healthcare, we see the industry moving towards being mindful of that in the Agency for Healthcare Research and Qualities, their SOPs, right? Their, their survey for a patient safety culture. And that has a number of items in it, communication openness, communication about error, organizational learning. I think it is increasingly popular to use that if you're in the healthcare industry to get a real pulse of what your organizational climate looks like or your organizational culture, what that looks like. But there are other surveys that would work just as well to Mm -hmm. give you a sense of, is this a place where people feel like they are able to speak up? Because that's the fundamental beginning of being a good working as a team is you have to be able to speak. You have to be able to voice. You have to be able to share your ideas. You have to be able to question others. You have to be able to offer. You need to be able to point out the the group is making a mistake and we need to step back a moment and see where we are. And so I think the the key part there is to do some kind of diagnosis. Yeah. Often the way in which you do that is a survey. There have also been organizations that have done the survey, but then have moved to doing more of a town hall where we sort of bring all the ideas and we just, you know, that is very sometimes challenging for leaders because once you open up the doors, you start to hear things and maybe that can be challenging in managing that process. But that can also be very powerful for people to realize that they're not alone and they're not isolated. I think giving voice to it in the way that you're doing in, in, in your own organization. So here's the data. You know what? There's some, what we see there, you know, part of this is framing. There are, there are ways in which we are clearly excelling and performing and have a culture in which we're really proud. And then there are ways in which we could be better. And people can appreciate that, I think. I think people appreciate when you are honest about a circumstance, but then not just being honest and stating it, but then you actually have to take action. And so people are mindful if you, healthcare workers are mindful if you say, aha, X, Y, and Z, but you don't then do the follow-through action. So the organizations that then take the follow-through action and say, okay, here's what our survey results are. Now either we come up ideas, you come up ideas, let's have a partnership and think about what could we do to make this um, culture that we want to work in. It's a learning culture. It's a safe culture. It's a culture in which we have teamwork. As you've done this work and you've gone from organization to organization and you've really, I think, gotten a good sample of what the environment is like, what are the recurring strengths that we can build on? What are the things that you see that healthcare organizations and teams on a fairly reliable basis are doing well, because we also want to build on our strengths. We want to improve the things that we can improve on, but we also want to say, hey, these are the things that we're doing well, and let's really fortify them. Let's really build them up. Are there things that you have seen on a recurring basis, maybe not universally, but just with a, with a greater frequency that we're doing well? That's a good question. That's a long pause. Oh, my goodness gracious. We've got work to do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to think here that it's currently being done. 
Well, I think they're principles. What came to my mind were principles that I think the industry can build on and healthcare workers can build on. So I think there is in the moment a wonderful tendency for healthcare workers to be engaged in sort of teaming for the purposes of treating a patient in the, in the moment. And yes, maybe sometimes the tone around those communications can be improved, but the ability that healthcare workers have to partner to deliver care in a very, I mean, clinically is an amazing strength. We need to sometimes change the tone around that, but the fundamentals are there in the sense that each person does have a role, the roles are understood, and we know how to bring those together. Interpersonally, we may need to work on things, but I think that that strength, that core strength is there. The other thing that I think healthcare certainly will continue to improve on, but is useful, is that there is an ethos in healthcare about using evidence and data. And that's a strength, even as we deal with issues around medical record systems and if they're good and how they might impact that. The fact that healthcare workers and the industry itself appreciates evidence and data is really quite important because it means that that we can capture moments in time, use that as information and input to devise interventions that can then we can test whether or not they worked or not or what might need to be tweaked. And so I think that is a strength. Being attentive to that is a strength. And so I guess those two things are the the first two that come to mind. I think there's a natural tendency to want to collaborate and do well. Maybe yeah. that's the third one. Yeah. Actually, uh, which is I there's a natural too, commitment. There's a, there is because you're entering a profession and I think that that's really astute that there is a, a level of commitment that we can work off of too that people and this feeds into the one that I would contribute the vast majority of people that do this work want to be a part of something aspirational. They want to be a part of something larger than themselves. And what I found to be very useful that I learned and was mentored to me at a, you know, Sharpree Steely in San Diego is one of the best medical groups in the country. The central dogma was a very simple one. The patient is first, the team is second, you're third. So the team Mm -hmm. is whatever the dynamic, right? Whether it's the hospital, the medical group, your division, your team of rounders that day, whatever the case may be, but it's patient first, team second, your third. When yeah. we build our decision-making around, are we doing the right thing for our patient? Yes. Okay, let's move to the next part. Is this the right thing for our team? Yes. Okay, is this the right thing for me as an individual? Then we're doing the right work. And I've told my teammates, look, if you're making patient-centered decisions and there's some pushback to it, I'm going to go to the mat for you because that's the right work. Mm-hmm. If you're doing the right thing for our team, I'm going to go to the mat for you. That's my job because we're doing the right work. And people buy into that. People really say, yes, please, that's what I want. Well, I think that there's no healthcare. I have not, I should say, I have not met any healthcare worker who doesn't believe in the patient first mantra. Yeah. Right. I, I I have not met one yet. And so I think that's very compelling. It's one of the things that I find most heartening about where the industry is right now is that we're seeing a lot more attention to this concept of patient centered care. Yes. And and that is more precise than quality in some sense. If you're doing patient-centered care, you're going to deliver quality care. And I give, it, I give credit to my students in my course right now and to students I've had in the past that this week, one of them said, well, if we just focus on patient-centered care, wouldn't we get all the other culture attributes that we care about? <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> like, all those I love other it. things that are on that bullet point there. Yeah. We have learning culture. Yeah. We have a culture of safety. We have a culture of quality. We also actually care a little bit about cost. All of the things that we're striving towards. Yeah. Would, if we just made that the focus, would we not have a different perspective on everything? The next time you see that student, give them a fist bump from me because yeah, they're right. And, and tell oh them if God. they're interested in a job in Northern California, they should apply. <laughs> I will definitely do that, but I think it, I think it's I think that's right. Yeah. Right. If, and and if we can remember that, I think you get into the weeds of any different and of any particular day. But if you can remember that, you 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 do have a rallying point for people. You do have a point that we can all sit down at the table and start to dismiss some of the things that have been hurdles and barriers in the past. That's right. It's because that common we do, ground we're that's aligned. so important. I agree with you. To bookend this, though, a little bit, we talked about you know circling this back to you and the work that you're doing. You still, I would sure. say, have this pluripotential capability, and your career is going to mm-hmm. go off like a fireworks, and it's going to be really, yeah. really great to watch. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to take your career? Where does the expertise that you're building from your students and your mentors and your colleagues for you – where do you want to drive progress? What's important for you to see get better over the course of the next years? I think the things that capture my attention most, I would love to be part of the effort of improving the coordination of care for patients. Yeah. It's a huge issue. And I've been studying nurse care coordination for a while now, and I feel very strongly about this being a hurdle that would make incredible make an incredible impact for many patients' care, but not just cancer care. I mean, cancer care, primary care, it's a fundamental issue that needs to be solved. And I think I would like to be part of contributing to the knowledge around that. And then I think I'm fundamentally continue to be excited about sort of helping organizations learn. If once we solve the coordination challenge, which I hope we will, there will be something else. And the extent to which healthcare continues to deliver on its promise and its potential to patients and to the workers who work within the field is really about helping them to learn in a way that is easy, as easy as it can be. Implementing new things is never easy, but we can make it less painful and we can make it more natural. We can make it something that we're excited about. And so I'm hoping that the work that I do will help the industry and help everyone have strategies for being able to to really do that, to get better over time, to be a place in which people work and a place in which patients get the outcomes that they deserve. That's If I do any of that, I will feel pretty good about this life. It's, it's good to know that as we're all on this journey together, that it's this incredible admixture of really bright, motivated people doing the work together and that you're part of it. One of the great things about healthcare is it will always be aspirational. And your point about, you know, we'll solve one problem and we'll unearth more. You're right. We will. We'll, we'll always be getting better. We will always have new challenges. And that's the thrill. You know, you'll, yeah. you'll just keep chipping away and you'll make progress and you'll step back and then you'll make more progress. And that's, that's part of the real thrill and the joy of, of doing this work. The work that you're doing, how do people find you? They're going to hear this conversation. They're going to say, mm-hmm. you told me as we were getting ready for this, this was your first podcast. This will not be yeah. your last podcast, I can assure <laughs> you. How do people find the work that you're doing? How do they learn from you when they decide that they need to start to access this stuff? Sure. So uh, you can find me at ingridn at wharton.upenn.edu. Um, so if you have a research site, I'm happy to talk with you about what might be possible there. 
And my work also gets promoted um, or will start being promoted through Penn has a the Leonard Davis Institute, which also promotes the work of Penn faculty. So that's a nice place to get bite-sized versions of the work we're doing. And then I do participate in things like Academy Health webinars and the like, where I do speak on topics that people ask me to speak about. So I am around and out there, but certainly my website is one way in which to find me. That's wonderful. I really appreciate that. This has been amazing. This has just been so much fun. I, I have I have so many more things I want to ask you, but I you know we can't do it all in one bite. We'll we'll have you come back. Hopefully, it doesn't take us nine months to circle around and 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 find a time. But listen, this has been really really special. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your expertise and most importantly your energy and your enthusiasm around this. It's it's just it's invigorating to know these are the kind of people that we're doing this work with. Well, I'm really thankful that you circled back and you found me and that you we had this opportunity to have this conversation. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity to share my thoughts. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com. 